Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. See how I got your name right that time, Noel? Ah, oh, it feels so good, Kate Kalsicky. On the first, on the first go, too. Go team. I've jinxed us now. It'll be just recording mishaps for the rest of the evening. Woo! Um, because it's not terrible that we're recording two episodes this evening. I don't know of what you speak, Noel. We're definitely recording, like, and I'm editing, obviously, like, on Christmas. That's totally... A healthy life choice. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about, uh, for our end of the show segment, a bunch of holiday episodes. Um, you pick two, I pick two. We're, yep. we're reviving the holiday omnibus. It's been a while for that. Um, some of them, I was I was familiar with most, but not all of them. Some of them yeah. lived up to my memories and yeah. expectations, and some of them really did not. So I think that's going to be okay. a fun conversation. That is going to be a fun conversation because I sort of had the same experience, at least with one of the shows. Yeah, it was like a yeah. it was a strong letdown. But you guys will have yeah. to see what what that could be. The episodes we'll be talking about, y'all are welcome to, of course, pause your podcast and go watch the rewatch, revisit, and join us. Our mash, Death Takes a Holiday, Seinfeld, The Strike, Futurama, Xmas Stories, and uh, Story Singular, and Veronica Mars and Eccles Family Christmas. Um, this, that's going to be fun. That's coming at the end of the show. Uh, we have a shorter week in TV this week. We're just putting it all in one second because a lot of shows are off. Yeah, we do. And um, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I'm sort of ready for the break. Yeah. Um, mainly because I need to work on the listening. I wrote out like I always do I wrote out my list of shows right and then I also wrote out my list of the categories and the things in those categories and we Mm -hmm. some we keep most of them year to year but some change and like this year there's a like I feel like there's a couple categories we need to add which I'll be in touch with and other ones that we can get rid of depending on good as long as we're getting rid of things in addition to adding things (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like there's some like positive tropes we you know like and movements in TV that we get to figure out a way to talk about. So, well, that's for off mic. But, um, but yeah, I was just, I was, it was just so overwhelmed by the the ridiculous listening. I was just like, how do I? I definitely got paralyzed by where to start. On that. Yeah, sure. And again, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Last year, I was like, Noel is smart because he does it all year instead of waiting for the end, like a stupid person. And I learned this lesson every year. I, I've still waited until the end for a lot of it, so I'm still doomed. But well, still, point remains. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be fun. That'll be coming in a couple weeks. Next week, we're going to have our top 20 TV shows of uh, 2017, which should be a lot of fun. And I look forward to hearing from listeners about the, the shows that clearly we did not appreciate or understand well enough or didn't see that are missing from our lists. But I think that's going to be a lot of fun. This week, uh, we don't really have that much news to talk about because it's kind of been, it's been, you know, excitingly light on the news front uh the golden globes came out but we don't care so no we do not uh i didn't even look at the i didn't even look i have like no idea what got nominated for anything um wait do i hang on hang on hang on no i don't i have no idea yeah no there's some uh 
some there's just so many stupid nominees like will and grace for best comedy um oh come on yeah. <laughs> that, like you're better off just not just not looking at it oh i hate the hollywood foreign film it, press it's They're very so stupid. terrible it's very very stupid our lists are gonna be way better um <laughs> Yeah, it is like there's. No, I don't think I'll even watch. Like, yes, I enjoy Seth Meyers, but I don't think I'm even gonna watch because I like. Often there's like, well, as long as it's not that one show, I'll be good with you know yeah. any of these other ones. At least they're all deserving kind of thing because there's so much good TV. It's kind of hard to feel bad about. It. But there are a few categories, like big major categories, where I'm like, maybe two of these deserve to even be nominated. Mm-hmm. If I watch the show, it's just gonna anger me. So I probably won't even watch it this year. That's probably a good call. Yeah, a much healthier call. Uh, also, uh, something I'm surprised there's been less discussion around, or at least in in my Twitter bubble, uh, is the the Fox Disney merger and uh, the fact that people don't seem to care that it's a massive monopoly, and now the same people uh, own Disney and own, oh, sorry, the people own ABC and also own Fox. Yeah, no, this is this is a really weird sort of thing that I'm I think a lot of the discussion has to center around the fact that this was a very large news day. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> With the FCC yeah. and the Alabama election still very much in the press cycle. Way um, to go. Voters in Alabama, specifically black men and black women, thank right, you yeah. very much. And everybody else who got their asses out to the polls and everybody else who've donated and all of that. It feels very nice. Sorry, you were saying about non-Alabama related things. <laughs> right. No. So it. I think a lot of it also just has to do with the fact that, I mean, this is at least a year away from even getting reviewed in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, like seeing into the future sort of um, is a little much to ask considering again, like the idea that everyone thought the AT&T and time Warner merger was basically going to be a slam dunk. And the department of justice has been kind of like, well, maybe, but not really. And I kind of have this, I kind of have the same mentality that they're going to take that, take that stance with the Fox Disney merger to your point, because this is, this is pretty serious because they're making concessions ahead of the merger, which is smart of them in so far as Fox is going to keep its national sports broadcasts, Fox News and uh, all of its Fox broadcast affiliates, uh, which would have, all three of those have, would have been major issues for antitrust issues. Uh, but they're basically giving up everything else to Disney, including the regional sports, all the cable channels, which is what Disney probably really wants in addition to 20th Century Fox um, uh, film studios. They could probably care less about getting Fox television studios, um, though that would make Modern Family a slam dunk to keep renewing until the end of time. Um so I'm, I'm curious about like what it all would mean um, from television landscape. I think that the big impact that we're all probably really curious about is what the hell this means for John Landgraf and his ability to uh, propel FX into where it is, because Disney does not care about awards and prestige and critical buzz. They care about money. They've always cared about money. And so the idea that FX just does these sort of niche but critically beloved programs um, but doesn't really take big, 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 big swings and when they do, they can't deliver, i.e. the strain, then that's... I'm I'm basically curious what Disney's going to do to FX. And I think that's going to be the, what everyone is sort of interested in. But then you also have to think about the fact that this gives them massive control over a lot of prominent IPs like The X-Files, mm-hmm. The Alien Franchise, The Simpsons. 
And that's really crazy to think about. Yeah. I think I think the note of caution and this is a long st- ways away still. And mm-hmm. I think that's an excellent point. And certainly yeah. there's plenty of other things to be very upset about and concerned with in yeah. the next year before then. For example, we already referenced the, um, let's just say what happened today mm-hmm. with the FCC. Yeah. The, the bullshit of, you know, what's going on right now with net neutrality and um, and how... Apparently, we need to find a way to make that into a law. Um, But anyways, that's a conversation for another time. Uh, But there's plenty of other things to be concerned about and to just kind of revisit this when it actually starts moving, which, like you said, will take a while. But yeah, yeah. otherwise, pretty slow news week. And I say that knocking on wooden things, but... Yeah, because, you know, when we record, shit tends to go down. <laughs> and we come back, and, like, three hours later, the entire world is on fire because we recorded a podcast about television. Yeah, you realize, because we're, because of life, we're recording a little earlier than we normally would, and so that means that, like, it's going to be a super Friday Friday, isn't it? Like, it's going to be, like, the most Friday of Fridays oh, for 2017. God, it's going to be so Friday. Yeah. We've we've ruined it. We apologize to everyone. It's our fault. I'm very sorry that you know, like Trump's gonna fire Mueller or something. Like something, yeah, no, something insane gonna is gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, well, if we if we caused if we tempted the universe into making that happen, everyone, we're very sorry, and we'll discuss it uh, next year when we're back yeah. to our regular scheduled episodes and not on our end of the year kind of episodes. But uh, for now, I think we need to listen to a little bit of music and get into our weekend TV. Yes. Yes, let's do it. Let's do this. So we'll be right back after this. The blinking is coming as fast as you can. Ruin Christmas like you don't give a damn. Gotta find the blinking. We'll follow a scent. We gotta stop the blinking from stealing our presents. He's gonna be defeated. He's about to meet his match. And maybe when we find him, we can ask for Mom's tree back. Sure, sure, sure. But mostly it's about running him out of town before he steals our Christmas presents. Totally. I just think maybe once we find him and scare him, it wouldn't hurt to ask for Mom's tree. Uh, yeah. The blinking. Ha ha ha, I bet you were all like, we're expecting Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but instead you got Bob's Burgers. The bleakin' is coming uh, from the bleakening <laughs> parts one and two. Don't worry, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend music is coming later in the show. But <laughs> um, first up uh, in our weekend TV, we are going to talk about the Crazy Ex-Girlfriend mid-season finale, Getting Over Jeff, which... <sighs> There's no, there's no Josh in that title. I'm so happy. Um, more on this in a moment. We have the midseason finale uh, for Jane the Virgin, Chapter 71. Uh, aforementioned Bob's Burgers, The Bleakening, Parts 1 and 2. I'll talk a bit about the Outlander finale, I Have the Storm. And then, because we won't be able to talk about the Exodus finale next week, we're going to talk about the penultimate episode, uh, Ritual and Repetition, and then we'll round things out with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which had Game Night and The Favor. So, uh, first up is Crazy Ass Girlfriend, and their, their midseason and finale getting over Jeff. This was wonderful and delightful and an, an excellent mid-season finale. And I think while it won't, it's not the most memorable or standout episode of the season, 
its role in Rebecca's journey of her mental health and uh, and her attempts to like her what her progress will hopefully be and needs to be I think is cannot be overstated. So I kind of love that instead of ending the like having the mid season break be on like a diagnosis or on um, the the plane or something like that. Instead, we got it on this much more like the going for a C plus kind of episode. How, what did you think of this episode? And and uh, how do you feel about the choice to make this be the mid season finale? I, I think the choice to make this is the mid season finale works um just structurally um to your point about like all right they're sort of identifying a path for rebecca to take and her approach to that and i think that that's that that's a good way to sort of like leave us as opposed to this sort of question about what this means so there's a sense of resolution as opposed to a cliffhanger or like at least the start of a resolution um as opposed to a cliffhanger uh, which is typically what a lot of shows go for um, with their mid-season finale, and I like that. And, like, it it demonstrates that the show doesn't view her mental health as a cliffhanger to be exploited to get people to come back, um, in part because anyone who's watching the show is going to come back anyway, Yeah, and they trust that. So they're just like, so we're going to end with, no, she's reconfiguring her support system and how her support system functions, and I think that that's all really good ways of viewing how they talk about it and how they talk about it on like a production writer level and an audience engagement level. So I think it was really, I think it was really good to end it that way. I have like quibbles with how much she drinks in this episode Mm -hmm. um, versus how much of that has been an issue in the past for her. And now it's just like, Oh, it's fine. Cause I get to do a Shirley Temple number. I, I just, it's a little weird, but overall I think it's a really strong sort of way for us to, wait for a new batch of episodes in the middle of January. That's interesting, because for me, that was a big red flag, and I felt like yeah. the episode agreed that it was, you mm-hmm. know? So, so I, yeah, because I was also noting that as well. She's like, I don't think this is a trigger, and, you know, then proceeding to not be there for Paula the way that she should be, and, and she's, you know, making other choices that, you know, maybe aren't the best. Um, but... But yeah, for me, that's a significant flag. And we've seen it tied to other choices throughout, you know, that she regrets throughout the series run. So I would be surprised if they didn't come back to it. But um, we'll see. But I do agree that it is, it would be very, it would be irresponsible. And it would be um, just kind of gross if they had had the cliffhanger of her survival and her, her, you know, basic mental health and like if she's gonna ask for help be the cliffhanger and to try to goose that for like buzz and i mean they're not gonna get ratings out of it but try to you know like it would have been really gross and so i'm very glad that they instead like you said went for this you know a more sense of conclusion and uh, more of like a button on this part of the season um and Having giving Paula that lovely little scene with her husband and the pie, you know, uh, was I think such a lovely way to to give a Paula centric episode, end it with that nice little moment, and and move to the next chapter for her as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think one of the things that uh, in relation to the alcohol is that it felt like a contrivance ultimately, so that she's not there. 
to help Paula with this. And I think that that was uh, one of the other issues, less of an issue in terms of like, this is a major trigger, but this is also something that they've demonstrated that a, they're aware of and B can play to their advantage later on. Like they did with Greg, Mm -hmm. um, when they're just like, Oh, Greg's an alcoholic. You know, I've never really noticed that. And then it's just like, here's Greg drinking a whole lot and that they can pay this off later. But it also felt like a way to make sure that Rebecca's not around so that we can have Jeff and Mm -hmm. Paula, um, explore, like have Paula get this sense of closure that she needs to really recommit to her family. And I think that that's where that, that was the only way that they could figure out how to do that while keeping Rebecca sort of present. Yeah. Um, and, but everything else though is like completely correct in terms of like, this is a really good button on a lot of, um, the more, the more prominent plots within this, including everything that also happened with Daryl and White Josh mm-hmm. in this, in this, in this week's episode where they basically get outsmarted by a nine year old who wants them to come to grips with their feelings. And, <laughs> uh, so no, there's a lot of like buttoning happening here for them to spring forward into the next set of episodes so no it was just really really strong um and i really appreciate that and i i really appreciate first penis i saw (laughs) (laughs) we will get there um for daryl and yjo like having this be such a straightforward yeah an inevitable breakup and having it not be fraught having it hurt for both of them but not like you know, like, I, like White Josh's, like, sense that you can tell he's had that, oh, Daryl's going to, like, drop it. He's going to come around and then it will be fine. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't happen. And, like, the way that they handled that, the the scene with Daryl and his daughter, I thought was lovely. And, and that, like, yeah, we, we can get back to being friends at some point, but, like, not for a while. It's going to be too painful to see you around and i I really appreciated the the earnestness and the honesty with that because like when you're in that situation you know where one wants kids and the other one doesn't want kids there's only so much you can do and the maturity of it you know we saw that once this this year with supergirl and we see it again here and it's a little different take but it's you know i think they're both very earnest and accurate to like the emotions of the characters and i thought they played it really well and then to (laughs) cap off that part of the West Covina part of the episode with the stuff with Josh. Josh is such an idiot. I love the, just like the dragging him through the mud that we're getting here because we, we've previously seen him so frequently through Rebecca's lens that we're just seeing a more like Heather perspective now. And it's amazing. (laughs) Well, I'm pretty sure he shouldn't be working with a staph infection. I don't think that's okay. No, Uh, I'm never going to that bar ever. Like, ever. <laughs> Clearly, their health code issues are, like, non-existent. Yeah. Um, but no, I enjoyed how, like, he's... Yeah, no, he's just getting dragged through the mud. And this lack of self-awareness about being dragged through the mud of, like, yeah, I'm a big boy. It's just, like, it's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And under... Yeah, no, it's just... It's very ridiculous. And I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, Vincent Rodriguez uh, the third. He's He's doing... He's doing a terrific job with that because you you buy it's so ridiculous, but you yeah. buy Josh's bubble like yeah. he's he's it's the 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 John Ham from Thirty Rock bubble like times mm-hmm. a million like you totally <laughs> buy his lack of awareness and uh, I look forward to seeing the character I'm sh- assuming seeing the character grow in uh, you know in 2018 and 
and not have these amazing women like taking care of his life for him anymore so right. he has to be his own person uh, i look forward to 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 seeing that um and i'm sure rodriguez is up to the the task too so that that should be that should be a lot of fun but yeah uh any other thoughts uh we did we did talk about the song so uh, i liked yeah. the shirley temple number i thought it was depressing how accurate it is that's probably the healthiest like older male relationships he's had so far, <laughs> but I thought that was nice. Um, and the costuming and the, the set design and all that stuff I thought was was fabulous. But uh, the 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 song that everybody's talking about is first penis I saw, which for me was just sort of like okay, but everybody else loves it. So this is one of those instances where I'm very happy to say I'm sure y'all are right and I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I'm not like mad about it or anything, um, but I really enjoyed it. And I think one of the things I really enjoyed, though, was the overall aesthetic of it. I really appreciated the fact that all the products were basically just cardboard cutouts mm-hmm. um, that said Jeff on them, <laughs> like all of them. And they were just like cardboard cutouts. They weren't even like full props of like cereal boxes. They were just flat covers of cereal boxes same thing with like detergent and everything so i really appreciated that kind of like two-dimensional sort of representation of like her of paula's idea of who jeff is is very mm-hmm. two-dimensional and driven by this memory from high school that extends in both ways and like how he remembers her and how she remembers him to the point where it's just like we're just going to talk about the car and almost make out in your stereotypically designed middle-aged man garage Mm -hmm. with the tile floor and the neon sign and just like all this ridiculous stuff that has just says volumes about who jeff is but the entire thing i think just the entire number itself really complemented the nostalgia of the song whilst painting by raising an eyebrow of it by its aesthetics. So I really appreciated that aspect of it. I think more than the actual song, um, but it, it was, it was very good. I enjoyed it. I, I liked it much more than the Shirley Temple number, which I just didn't respond to at all. Mm. Well, I have a, a more of a connection maybe to Shirley Temple. Cause I watched all yeah. those old musicals when I was a kid. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's that as well, but, uh, but yeah. no, you're right. I, you know, I, I just make me want to go back and watch it again and pick up more of those other elements. And I, I certainly I also it's easy for me to feel like, yes, Donald Champlin can can keep her voice flat and not as interesting or expressive because she's really good. I'd rather hear her sing amazingly as well as I know that she can, you know, like there's like a overproduced quality, which is so perfect for the style and everything. Like I get what right. they're doing. I just I'm, I I just be like, but what, what if she actually just sang it? Like it would, it would be a betrayal of the aesthetic and like the whole referential point of it and like drawing on the nostalgia and everything, but it would be so much prettier. (laughs) So I know I'm wrong with that. It's not, it's what I want, not what the show needs, but that's where I end up with that one. Yeah, no, I understand where you're coming from with it in terms of like a production angle, mm-hmm. um, a vocal production angle anyway, mm-hmm. um, mainly because I'm always glad when they give Chapman a song mm-hmm. um, because she's so good. 
Um, so, but I, I just didn't mind, like, the, again, I think I'm willing to go in for the nostalgia and the production value of yeah. what they're, a- the homage pastiche that they're aiming for here, um, as opposed to just wanting her to sing, yeah. um, even though I'm always there for that. So even if, if they had done that, I would still like the song. <laughs> so Yeah, no, it was a strong, uh, capper to what has been an excellent year for Crazy yeah. Ex-Girlfriend. More on that in the next two weeks. Mm. But uh, for now, let's move on to Jane the Virgin and their mid-season finale or 2017 finale, Chapter 71. Now, we've been sort of lukewarm on Jane for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. I loved this finale. I was like, where you has did. this Jane been for however many weeks? Like, I was invested in every storyline. I literally laughed out loud when Aneshka did her like, thing. I just, <laughs> I just, like, snorted. I was laughing. Like, it was just, like, out of nowhere. It was just, it killed me. I was getting misty when they're all dancing. Like it, it took me on the full Jane roller coaster, and mm-hmm. it surprised me um, with the stuff with Matteo and like, like, and him being sick and then tying back into Michael. I think the way they've continued for me, at least, the way they've continued to bring back the imp- the lasting impact of Michael. I think. Yeah in moments like this works really well and, and is like, it's not about her obsessing about Michael or just like being overly connected to this, um, to his loss or whatever, but it's informing who she is. These experiences have have informed her and that's really appropriate in a way that I think a lot of shows don't necessarily come back to because they kind of want the audience to forget that we've moved on to a new part of the show. Um, so I thought that was really lovely. And then, of course, my little shipper heart enjoyed the ending with Raph and Jane, even though I don't know that they necessarily sold his part of it. But um, I thought that all the, the rest of it and like just the, I thought the episode earned it more than like ra- like I bought Raph in that moment. Like, the episode was building to, like, these are how they've been there for each other in these important parts of their lives, and there's a sense of inevitability to it. I do feel like we're on season four, so maybe they only do five, six seasons, but I kind of doubt that. I kind of think the fact that they're, they have a, a, a Jane and Raph potential start of something here means they don't see Raph as endgame. What do you think? And what do you think of yeah. the episode? Yeah, I had the same thought regarding the end of the episode um, and the episode overall in terms of where they were leading. Um, mm-hmm. That they were, this is what Jane does when they're about to do something. It's just like, here are three things that happened in Jane's life that put her on this course. And it was just like, to get us to this point. I mean, they've done this many, many, many a time. So this wasn't, it was very clear what they were going to do. And your point about, him potentially not being endgame at this point because of this, uh, I think is really astute and um, necessary to make because it's too soon for them to get back together. And like your point about the um, how the episode earns it, but the season really just hasn't is also really spot on. And yeah, it was just... it. The episode overall was just really good, but I I really struggled with the fact that I just don't care about them getting back together. And seeing that it was leading up to this, it was just like, unless you guys are just like actually going to commit to it, I, I, I'm not here for this again. I, I, and so it was, 
it's one of those things where I will go back if they're still together by the end of the season and go, all right, I'm good. I'm just, I, it was much better than I said it was. But right now I'm just like hesitant about it because it's just like, I don't really want to go through this again. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I'll have to like sit and wait and see how it goes. But I'm always here for Alba dancing. And yeah. it's that is kind of all I need is as we've reiterated across four seasons, it's just like, as long as we've got these three women with one another, we have a very good show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like this. I mean, I, you, you know, we've talked about this. I have not been very invested in the Rowan Zoe stuff. I thought this mm-hmm. episode, like what we got with them, was much better. I liked seeing yeah. that little moment with with Rogelio and with uh, and with Raphael and and them connecting a little bit. You know, there I liked uh, the stuff with Alba and like the proposal and. And like the surprise at the end oh, with that too. Poor, oh, poor guy. Poor, poor guy. Yeah, yeah. No, please ask me again. No. And I was just like, oh no, this is so bad. She can't work at this place anymore. <laughs> she needs a new job. I need a new job. Well, and it'd be nice to see her back to her actual job. She can find her, you know, her of being a physical therapist and stuff. Yeah. But um. But yeah. No. That. <laughs> yeah. That I thought that was a really nice uh moment. And and of course the actor. She sold the the moment so well that you then you can't feel like normally you'd have to feel be mad at her feel you know like like blame her a little, a little bit mad. but but I but like mad <laughs> oh i think she but, sold like that she didn't expect herself to say that you know no, no no i think she does but i'm still a little mad but <laughs> <laughs> don't make the guy get down on a knee again and then say no. yes yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah no definitely definitely um so yeah i i, I how do you feel about the aneshka stuff that we got <laughs> I I just appreciate so much how this show just has fun had fun um mm-hmm. with Ineska and um Petra. Goodness, mm-hmm. I I could only think of Yael. Um uh with Petra cuz just that whole thing of all right, so we're going to have Ineska playing Petra, but she's going to take off the wig and underneath is a brown wig. And just all this stuff that's going on in terms of, like, this craziness of this. I'm just like, I am so here for all of this. It's making me very happy. Mm-hmm. Because it's just ridiculous and it's just very silly. And I liked um, how it's sort of built with, like, the twins discussing it in the elevator to Aneska, but not knowing that it was Aneska. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I really liked how all of that played out. Um, and, well... I kept waiting for something to happen to the coffin because it was just like it was, it was Chekhov's coffin. It was coffin. definitely Chekhov's coffin. Someone was going to fall in that coffin or end up in that coffin, mm-hmm. and then someone did. And I just went, "All right, let's do this." And <laughs> it makes me a little sad um, that she's got to be dead this time, right? Yeah, she's definitely <laughs> dead this time. Yeah. Are we sure? Yes. I mean, we've seen a body, but I mean, we should really be sure. Yes. <laughs> this felt like an actual death. The last time like, we were talking about it, it, like, it didn't, it came, it felt like it came out of nowhere. It didn't, they yeah. hadn't earned, this felt like an actual death. So, yeah. 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 yeah um, I guess my only other thing, what did you think about the whole Louisa thing being totally handled off screen, presumably because the actor was like off filming like yeah. the tick or something? Not available. Um, yeah. That yeah. didn't work too hot. Nope. Uh, but it I do, I like that development though. And I look yeah. forward to the opportunities it will present yeah. in the, the coming year. Yeah. That's the thing. It's just like, it was a, oh, well, we, we kind of need to do this to wrap up Aneska. 
Um, but, uh, we don't have the actor. Um, mm-hmm. well, we can just do it off screen. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's fine. And it's just like, well, no, not really, but okay. Well, you're allowed one narrative shortcut in a really good episode. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on Jane or hopes for next year? Um, I'm really hoping that they just slow play Raph and Jane at this mm-hmm. point. Um, I think that will help me a lot as opposed to they just dive right back in with one another, but that needs to be sort of slow played. Yeah. Um, but we'll see if they're willing to do that. Well, yeah, that'll tell us a lot about their approach for the next several years, but, um, if they're going to be honest to their characters, that's what they need to do because it's so fraught with the, with their whole like built family, you know, like, yeah. With, with everything with Mateo, but also with the twins, like, if, if this is still Jane, so if she's going to, if, if she and Raph are gonna actually try being in a real relationship, um, again, for the first time in, at this point, like, what, three years? Three or four, yeah. Yeah. Then, then they're gonna slow play it. So we'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, I'm I'm intrigued. Listeners, let us know what do you think about this. Uh, let's move on to Bob's Burgers and the Bleakening Parts One and Two. This was so delightful. No, <laughs> I loved it so much. The music was all great, and, and they've gone back to a much, I think, better balance of how frequently they have music and yep. the, the level of like spotlight that it gets, but. You know, I, I'm reminded of the <laughs> conversation I had last episode with uh, Emily L. Stevens about Twin Peaks. And there's that quote, which, spoiler alert, y'all will be hearing about in a couple weeks, um, when I talk about best quotes of the year from Twin Peaks, where, like, this guy just got a shotgun. is just, like, going nuts with it. And somebody asks um, uh, Jim Belushi, what's going on? It's like, it's people are stressed out. (laughs) That's been like the perfect quote for so much of this year. And this episode responding to that. And then just having this delightful, like everybody's not really in the season and everybody's so stressed out and the world just seems so terrible right now. Like now is the time for the bleak and to come. And so that whole concept Mm -hmm. and the way it all comes together with Teddy and, and then the the dance club and all this other stuff. I thought it was absolutely lovely and like way better than some of the episodes we'll be talking about in our <laughs> Christmas episode segment later this episode. Yeah, I really liked it as well. Um, a lot of me wonders like when this was like conceived and storyboarded and then animated, and how much of it is actually a response to the bleakening of our actual lives. Um, <laughs> they could have made it last November. <laughs> Yes, no, they very easily could have, and it would still be, like, applicable, but I I was just, I'm curious about, like, the production cycle, because Bob's has such a long, in terms of, like, build-up in their production cycle because of how they have to renew them for, like, X number of years, so they can have the episodes ready, Mm -hmm. Um, but... I, I very much like it as this sort of metaphor for, all right, we all need to survive somehow. Something's getting shut down. So we're just going to have an underground Christmas rave <laughs> and a really good rave. <laughs> and so, no, I, I really enjoyed a lot of it. I enjoyed Teddy's like whole stakeout inside the inflatable Santa costume. It was just it was so good. So very good. Oh, it made me very happy. But everything about it was, I thought, just really good. And I think your point about, like, the balance of the songs versus, of, like, having, like, weaving in a couple of, like, fantasy numbers into it of Game of Thrones-inspired 
sort of armor sets for the kids while they're approaching the mountain in the in the winter <laughs> and that kind of metatextual stuff without having to like be over heavy-handed with it like well we're gonna do a game of thrones thing it's just like no we'll just do like small signifiers of like Jon snow type armor and we'll call it there and so i really appreciated that, that sort of, that degree of restraint and how that plays out for like an audience, but also how that plays out number wise, including like Bob just refusing to engage <laughs> in the opening number of just like, no, I'm really tired. I'm, I'm not t- going to sing with you. I'll just make burgers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll just make burgers, whatever you want. And, but the other thing that I thought about in relation to this episode is also made me think about like their, um, their big, like 100th episode, um when or whatever that episode was where bad things happen in the bathroom (laughs) right where it's just it's about the community again yeah and that's really like what bobs does really really well when they bring in the entirety of this town in some capacity even if they're more abstract as they are in the rave when they're all mainly just animated silhouettes for the most part there's still this sense of we all needed to do this to survive and we all needed this celebration and i th- I, th- I just whenever the show engages in that mentality it's always a home run yeah we've, we've said many times bob's is terrific at holiday episodes and mm-hmm. like every holiday that it chooses to tackle so it's not a surprise but like i get they're in season eight how do they still keep doing it? I don't know, but I'll take a bottle of whatever they're drinking because it's delightful and wonderful and just the right kind of, you know, in, in 2017, just the kind of right thing to warm you up. So thank you, Bob's. And I certainly look forward to sharing because I have some of my family loves Bob's, but they I don't think they've had a chance to see this one yet. So I think this oh, will okay. have to be a sit everybody down and watch together kind of uh, episode. Get some nod going. Plenty of cheer and <laughs> have fun with Bob's. Uh, that is uh, not necessarily the kind of viewing that we have for Outlander. They had their finale, Eye of the Storm. I, I don't try to get my family to watch Outlander because I don't want to have the conversations with them I might have to have. <laughs> um, but I really enjoyed the finale once again. I felt felt pretty rushed. Um, they I feel like they did in half a season – like there was like a whole book they did in half of a season and I don't know that it got its due. I don't know that Jamaica and like everything after they get off the boats, you know, I think it needed like another like th- three episodes to really like there's a couple characters that return um, one of them. Like, both, I wanted to see way more of both of them, basically. Just hanging out and having conversations. Uh, and that really was disappointing. Um, so hopefully, at least one of them will cross the character's paths again. But I don't know how. So, yeah. It, it was just, while it was a very good episode, very dramatic, excellent performances once again, um, and very satisfying um, and dramatic it i do like i wish it, this had been instead of a 13 episode season like a 16 episode season or something and the, yeah we'll see what happens with the next like there are distinctly in a new chapter like at the end of the episode no they are in america <laughs> they've gotten oh, like okay. blown off course nearly drowned in the ocean again uh it's a whole <laughs> thing and they they like they think they're in the caribbean islands still and they're in the Americas instead <laughs> they're like in Georgia or 
or uh, uh, Virginia or something. So, uh, yeah, I don't think there's any going back at this point. Uh, so I don't think we're going back to Jamaica anytime soon. Uh, but again, on its own, satisfying. Well done. Part as part of a arc, feel felt pretty rushed, and uh, I would like to hear from other Outlander viewers, uh, book readers, and not book readers because I haven't read the books, and uh, see what you thought of it. Uh, I, I, I maybe they wanted to glaze over some of the the like you know the slavery issues, <laughs> um, though they're in the Americas, so that's going to come up again. Uh, so maybe that's some of it. But I thought they what they did do they handled pretty well, things considered, and. Um, so I don't know if that would be enough of a reason to not, you know, or just like they needed to get to the end of the book and they wanted to make sure they had enough time with Claire and Jamie apart at the beginning of this. Like, I don't envy them the task of breaking right. like these massive books into the, the, this few number of episodes. But yeah, so I, I really enjoyed the episode. I've really enjoyed a lot of the season of Outlander. Um, and I still have to ponder whether it will be where it will be on my list in the listening. But I will leave it there. I am very strongly considering having you do Outlander for the the Make You Watch a Thon next year. So just FYI. Okay. I will be, if, if I do settle on that, I'll just be so proud of myself just because I won't have to think about it when we get to that next year. It'll be nice. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Let's move on to The Exorcist. And that's uh, episode nine. So the penultimate episode, uh, Ritual and Repetition. And... Again, like this has been such a great surprise this year for me out uh the the exorcist and I I think that they're pacing it pretty well. What how do you feel about this episode and and sort of where it looks like we're going at, in the finale next up next week? No, I really like this episode as well and even though I'm sort of sad that we've like left the house um because that house was so great and it was such mm-hmm. a really like potent um setting for like the majority of the season so to have left it um as much as we basically have at this point um starting like within episode eight but also especially this week um that i'm a little sad about that but everything that's happening in terms of especially what's going on with andy and his possession and how it's forced the kids and rose to sort of like survive and have the wherewithal to wherewithal to survive this, but also make sure that Andy can survive it. Um, I think it's just, it's really compelling. And the show's done such a great job of, especially in the early going of establishing Andy and this family that it makes their other attempts to sort of like establish um, Marcus Tomas and to a certain extent Mouse as a also a family really pair in comparison in terms of like their bonds and that kind of thing just don't have that same sort of impact, I think, in a lot of ways. And that kind of like hobbles the show just a little bit. But the the decision to center so much of the action, especially this week on Andy and the kids and Rose is just it was really good, and it was a really good showcase for all of them. And oh, Kate, they didn't kill Rose. I'm so happy. I know. I'm so happy. <laughs> I was like, you know what? I don't care. I needed a win in this episode, yeah. and they yeah. gave it to us. Yeah. And like, it was just like, you oh, know, stuff's she's, getting you dark. She's just, right. She's just, she's just there. She's, she's gonna drown and get tired eventually, but she's not dead yet. And the kids are gonna <laughs> save her. And thank God. 
<laughs> yeah. No, we definitely, we definitely need that. The they, the creep factor of like this, the the leeches or whatever that was, the bugs on Verity. Oh, oh yeah, and she's not doing anything. She's not moving, and she's like can't do anything. And but it's also just like Verity. It's very clear that you're in this cobweb house that. Right now, there's no other place you could be. This was a terrible idea, and now you're covered in leeches. <laughs> <laughs> so that was super creepy and effective. Um, and because there were enough really dramatic and dark and intense scenes that that made the the saving of of Rose really land and and felt yep. very earned. Um, I I don't I I know I get that it's called ritual and repetition. But I do think we got too much time with Tomas in his dream world. Like, I was waiting for that. So it's like, we get it. Repetition. Like, let's move on. And maybe it's because, you know, we haven't seen all of season one. So maybe if I was more invested in that actor returning from season one, I would care more about those scenes. But it's just if that felt like filling time. I was very excited to see Mouse back, though, with the with the team. And I'm looking forward to some butt kicking next next week. Yeah, I, I think your point about Tomas is really well taken because there's there's no reason for it to have gone on that long apart from needing time for Mouse to show up. Mm-hmm. And because he's very he seems very aware that this isn't right for the longest time within the context of the episode. And then it's just like, well, we need to bring um I wanna say it's Cat. I can't remember if it's Cat or Casey. Um mm-hmm. back from season one. And that th- to have like him turn it down and everything. It's just like, A, we all knew that this was going to happen because it's Tomas. Even if you haven't seen any of season one, we have enough of a bead on him to know that he's not going to want this as like a perpetual sort of demonic matrix that he's just living in. Um, but B, it's also just like, it's, it's a weird sort of, again, contrivance delay for us to like, so that everything's, not immediately in place for the finale. And it's just not elegantly done enough to justify mm-hmm. that. And which is why the episode needs all the stuff that happens with Andy, the kids and Rose to make sure that there's enough forward momentum and enough scares, but also like enough, like deep emotional stuff of like reaching for a rock and feeling around for one and then the broken cane just all that sort of stuff that you need to really sell the breaking of this relation of this family through this demon that you need that to keep the episode going and it does very very well yeah the like you said the we are complete i'm completely invested in verity and in rose and in i was invested in andy and uh, if they manage to pull him back in the next episode, great. If they don't, I think John Cho is killing it. So, like, yep. he's working so effectively as a villain after mm-hmm. all this. Um, but oh, he's so good. He's having so much fun. <laughs> yeah, it's like he never gets to play this. This is very yeah. fun. Um, but yeah, the again, the pacing of the season has been you know some of the mouse and other priest guy who whose name I don't remember, which tells you how invested I am uh, up there. Devin. Devin Bennett. Father Bennett. Father Bennett. Yeah. Some of that stuff was a little, you know, slow. We were just like, let's get back to, you know. Yeah. But um, but pretty much everything else I think has been paced really well and really effectively. So mm-hmm. I'm 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 super excited about the finale. And uh, yeah, I was considering this for I'm like I'm like looking at my list and like the various the way I whittle down my my top twenty from the hundred and twenty shows I watched mm-hmm. this year and like 
this kept moving up to the next tier of no i really liked this no i really mm-hmm. li-, you know like so so we'll see if it makes the list but uh certainly one of the one of uh, one of the more compelling shows going right now. Uh, let's talk about speaking of compelling, Brooklyn Nine Nine, which did their hundredth and hundred and first episode, Game Night and the Favor, following off of the previous episode, the ninety ninth episode, which had Rosa come out as bi, and also had the like resurgence of Captain Holt's debt to yeah. to the to the mob, basically. Uh, so let's start with Rosa. And her parents. And, uh, yeah, I thought that, that, again, they nailed it. I thought they, you know, hit it out of the park. Let's do some more sports metaphors. <laughs> but uh, but I, I thought it was absolutely terrific. And I loved the comedic energy they managed to pull out of it with while remaining so uh, so impactful. The, the, yeah. the, the, the draw, the sketch for wedding <laughs> was delightful. <laughs> And I think put, inserting Jake into that was really smart because mm-hmm. it allows that sort of irreverence to bleed through because he's so terrible at these situations, regardless of the actual thing at stake. So to have him be in a position of like, oh, so I, I'm here for moral support. I can do that. I can do that just fine. And then be like, no, you have to pretend to be my boyfriend slash my guy I'm having an affair with because you're engaged. It's just like, it's very good. And to down to the, these are my Friday jeans. It's just, it's so real, Kate. It's so real. (laughs) Don't we all have a pair of Friday jeans? We do. And that's why it's so good. It's like, (laughs) these are my Friday jeans. And it's just like, it's, it's, these are, these are the jeans I wear to a fancy, fancy, fancy restaurant because I don't have actual clothes. And it's just like, it's all very good. It's all very Jake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And... So I, I really appreciated that, and I appreciated also, like, the show's lampshade hanging of the, I think I straight explained coming out <laughs> to you. It was yeah. just like, A, that scene was very good, and Sandberg is very good in it, mm-hmm. and um, Rose's response to that speech is also very good and very in character, but Jake's awareness of what he ended up doing in hindsight yeah. really speaks to, again, like, the degree of sensitivity that this show tends to have in regards to, A, itself, but, B, how it's talking a lot yeah. in, 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 internally, I think, is it's just really good. So the, the end result of how Rosa responds to her family, how her family responds to her, the delightfulness of like the wedding yeah and the two best friends opening a bakery or a chocolate shop <laughs> and uh, she's like, awesome. no that is clearly not what that is but i love you very much for saying that There's in your a bunch denial of pals. <laughs> yeah um so, so no like game night in and of itself is really great and i liked the capper of holt affirming uh her entire situation and then them immediately undercutting it with Scully ruining the bathroom and the refrigerator door and just all of it. I was just like, this show's so good. It was absolutely beautiful and so wonderfully sincere. And it's because the Holt is so frequently very wacky. Yeah. Uh, at this point, he's such a heightened caricature, yeah. caricature version of who the character used to be that we don't usually get this Holt you know, in the same way as well, certainly we don't as frequently. And then, but when they do deploy him in this manner, of course, Andre Brower is going to nail it every time. And yes. it was an absolutely like, and like the, like the hug 
Neither one of them are huggers, but you're like, that's like, he's like, and, and they, they, they resisted the urge to have Charles like run in from Ross Green. Hug, yeah. You know, like, yeah. it was lovely. It was very nice. And uh, yeah, I look forward to, you know, if they have any other things come up that touch on this, you know, this shared connection or like ex- level of experience to some extent with Holt and Rosa, I look forward to it. And if they don't, because why would it inform their business working relationship right. great too because that yeah. you know it feels absolutely either way it will feel appropriate because of the groundwork they've laid here mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely uh so what do you think about the favor because i have like i don't yeah what did you think about the favor kate <laughs> okay so i i thought the episode by itself worked pretty well um it had a good caper feel i really liked that they brought gina back and they kind of like dealt with that <laughs> um and like, and like the idea that she was not gonna be back and then now she is officially back apparently um uh but i, I so i that was a looming question mark i was glad it was resolved in this calendar year um as a viewer uh i don't know that we need a long-term recu- recurring villain like this and i don't mm-hmm. know that we need to bring <laughs> let's not bring the husbands into this you know um yeah. so we'll see I'm I'm very willing to give them space because they've earned it. They've earned trust as far as I'm concerned. Um, but going to win, sort of like the opposite of, of Crazy Girlfriend, going to winter hiatus with this has me yeah. a little question marky. What do you think? Right. So in order, um, I don't need Gina back, mm-hmm. um, which is a weird thing to say because um, Purdy's performance and their conception of Gina like had changed enough um, across really the first two seasons where I was like much more sort of on board with that character mm-hmm. but they've been functioning really well without Gina as like a show that I don't need her anymore like I sort of realized that I've really felt like she was kind of extraneous to a lot of stuff that was going on with the show um some of the time that they've been chugging along so well that i don't i didn't miss her really so having a resolution of like where she is what she's been doing and answering that question i think was really good but the idea of her like coming back full time i was just sort of like "Ah, i don't i don't i don't need this very much and so i'll be curious to see if like my opinion changes as they have to sort of almost reintegrate her into the show in a lot of ways um but yeah i just kind of went i didn't i didn't really miss sheena that much um and as as for like uh, mcmurphy murphy whatever his name is i've as much of fun as i had with how just deeply 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 stupid kyle is he's such uh, a <laughs> diane keaton's brother-in-law <laughs> yes yeah, it's just, uh, he's such a Fredo. And, and that entire exchange about explaining the Godfather through that was very good. <laughs> but th- how, th- I, I agree with you in that I'm not really on board with him having a, like, a long sort of, like, long-term villain for them. But I also sort of acknowledge the fact that they may want this as, like, an endgame for the season for whenever they almost want to break up the 9-9 again. Yeah. Since they do that every season and they want a way to do that in a slightly more organic, less rushed way than they sometimes kind of do with like a three-parter or a two-parter at the end of the season. Um, the way they always but do it. We'll see how- <laughs> they don't sometimes do it. They always do that. 
<laughs> yeah, they always do it. Um, well, I was trying to make sure that I wasn't like misremembering it at some point. I know mm. that they always break up the team at the end. Yeah. Um, on the off chance that they're not coming back. <laughs> um, so we'll we'll see how that goes, but. I, I do at least appreciate that they're tying it into like Holt's desire for a promote or Holt's drive for promotion in some capacity. And any any plot that forces um Amy and Rosa to have to bring Hitchcock in to say, I'd like to report some hussies <laughs> <laughs> And um, quickly it's just like, Oh, this is very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was fabulous. Uh, so fun. And such a, again, such a great deployment of the character. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're amazed how, oh, how did we never think of that previously? Uh, yeah. yeah, that was a lot of fun. The, and, and victory through minutia and, and the bureaucracy, yeah. of course, a lot of fun. Uh, speaking about Gina, yeah. I just, I'm very much looking forward to how she impacts the wedding planning. I'm just going to put yeah. it there. There should be some fun sure. there. But but it yeah. is absolutely an embarrassment of riches at Brooklyn Nine-Nine. They have a very yeah. large cast, and they're all terrific, and they're all used incredibly well, and they all can do more. It's it's very Parks and Rec in that way. Uh, that They don't need as many characters as they have, but you understand them not wanting to let anyone go because when they do want that different flavor or different comedic approach, they like to have the full, you know... Two hundred and sixteen yeah, crayon yeah. <laughs> box, yeah. yeah. Um, but but yeah, the show has been functioning just fine without her. Um, so it will be interesting to see how that impacts or doesn't the the next you know rest of the season. Um, yeah, and yeah, I guess wait and see. For yeah, I- I'm waiting for and else. seeing. Okay, yeah. uh, what wins your week in TV? That's a great question. Um, I do want to call out, like, um, Speechless. I, I really enjoyed Silent Night um, mm-hmm. quite a bit. It was a very funny um, little Christmas episode that gave a lot of people a lot of things to do. Um, but I think I'm going to give it to Bob's Burgers. No, Bob's Burgers Game Night. Game Night, Bob's Burgers. Both. Both. It's it's both, Kate. It's both. <laughs> don't make me choose. I don't make you choose, because that way yeah. I can give it... Well, first of all, shout out to the Runaways for sticking with the comic book and um, and making uh, Carolina at least, apparently, be queer and attracted to, to one of her female friends. You know, they're not defining her. She's not defining herself on the show, so... Yeah. We don't have any reason to do so, but in the comics, that's a lesbian character. That's the kind of character that'd be very easy for them to decide they were just going to straight wash. So I'm glad they yeah. aren't doing that. Uh, don't have anything else to say about that episode, though. So, so that's why we didn't put it in our weekend TV. However, uh, for me, it's like you if you give it to to Bob's and Brooklyn Nine Nine, I can give it to Jane. And not mm-hmm. feel too bad. <laughs> yeah, there you go. See, I, you know, I, I was helping you. That that was all put on to like allow you the opportunity to do that. I'm helpful. They were all terrific, though. Like yeah. it was, yeah. it was. There was not a lot of TV compared to what we usually watch, but what mm-hmm. we got was very good. So yeah, thank you, Absolutely. TV. <laughs> now we will listen to a little crazy ex girlfriend. Uh, uh, so this song. <laughs> Uh, in, in case any of my students are listening, for some reason they Googled my name and this this podcast came up. Maybe skip ahead, parents. This is not, you know, this is a song about, you know, early stages of a young character's development romantically, uh, you know, reflected upon by a grown-ass lady. Uh, so, 
Yes, I feel like I've you get done... spit out my water when you say, if any of my students are listening, I'm just like, I well, lost I'm it. I'm always aware of this. This is why I, I censor the swearing. Like, we say it, but I drop out the audience. Like, you know, I don't want to get in yeah. trouble. But yeah. hopefully, you know, this is an issue. When I was on Podlander Drunkcast, I'm like, oh, I hope my students aren't listening until they're above drinking age. Anyway, so, so the next one is, is very funny, but it is not necessarily, you know, safe for young ears. So maybe earmuffs. And we'll be back with our holiday omnibus, looking at a quartet of of holiday episodes, a Christmas-themed episodes. We'll be right back after this. That was one of this week's songs from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, as well as a little, you know, Xmas cheer from the cast of Futurama. Uh, this week at the end of the episode here, we're doing our, 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 I think this is the fourth holiday omnibus. It might be the third. I need to look it up in my notes. I think it's only the second one I've done. Yes. Because so, well, we yeah. did a holiday one. Halloween. And then we yeah. did a Halloween one. And then, okay. so I think this is the third. Okay, yeah, because I did the Halloween one. Yeah, you were on the I, we, hall for the Halloween, but yeah, yeah, not. I think the Christmas was before your before your tenure. Um, so yeah. so this year we're gonna we're gonna go chronologically instead of just doing one each. We did two each. Yeah. Tried to get you know like we was trying to think of what are some good episodes to talk about. I didn't want to do. The, I'm sure you had a similar you know internal conversation. I didn't want to do ones that maybe everybody always talks about when they do these kinds of segments. Which Even though like, I picked one of those, so it's fine. Well, yeah, yeah. I would say the Veronica Mars, Echo Stanley Christmas is one of those. But it's, it's like the conversation around Christmas movies where it's like, at this point, if you're making your hot take, hey guys, Die Hard's actually good. It's like, we've all had that conversation many yeah. times. Like, yeah. So I actually was drawn... All had at this point. Yeah, I was drawn more towards the traditional episodes and, and mm-hmm. had you watch a couple that I was like, let's see if they... Like, live up to the pop culture awareness around them and discussion around them. So, first, yeah. we're going to go chronologically. First up is one of your picks, MASH, Death Takes a Holiday. This is, yep. uh, thank you very much, Noel, for putting this in the notes. This is from December 15th, originally aired December 15th, 1980, and this is from season nine of MASH. Uh, let's start with what did you, had you seen this episode before? What was your memory of it? And did it, you know, live up to that? Right. No, so I've definitely seen this before. Um, I'm a big MASH fan. Um, mm-hmm. I may not remember every episode of MASH because there's a gazillion <laughs> There's so <of> them. many. <laughs> Just like there's a gazillion episodes of Cheers. Asking me to pick a favorite episode of Cheers is like asking me to pick, you know, a needle out of a haystack. They're like, all a, so good. They're all good. <laughs> yeah. B, 
I don't know if I can recall one yeah. um, specifically aside from like Thanksgiving orphans. Yeah. But when you wanted to do uh, Christmas episodes, I thought about Death Takes a Holiday um, in part because it blends like it's very late season mash and it blends a lot of those elements together. But I think really effectively still, um, I think this episode works generally pretty well. Um, from what, um, BJ, from what Hawkeye and from what, um, Houlihan are doing and end up doing at the end of the episode, um, in an effort to prevent Christmas from being a bad thing for, uh, the family of a, um, service serviceman that gets injured, um, in a fatal way. And so I, I really appreciated that aspect of it. Um, that degree of charity and altruism follows through with, uh, Winchester's family tradition of giving away massive amounts of food anonymously to, um, to those in need um, worked really well, but I appreciated the twist that that episode, that the episode puts on that in this particular context and this political, this particular economic setting, as opposed to giving it away to a shelter in Boston is very different from get or wherever um, the Winchesters are based out of. I want to say it's Boston. That sounds like the candy was definitely from Boston. Right. Yeah. And Yes, I think that's why, but like, yeah, no, it is Boston, because Hawkeye's from Connecticut. That's where I was getting confused. Ah, I was blurring my New Englanders (laughs) a little bit there. That's what that was. So, So this idea of, like, them selling all the good stuff so that they can buy things to live on for months, I thought was just really demonstrated, like, the degree of social awareness that the show had, for the most part, but also commented on, like... Charles's very limited perspective. And so the episode overall, I think, works really, really well still. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I still found a lot of it pretty funny and also kind of like touching, but in, again, that very late season, late series, mash sort of saccharine way um, that I still really respond to it, I think in part because I just haven't watched watched any mash in a long time. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of like, easing myself in with a very strong episode. Um, so I was really happy with my pick. Um, <laughs> had you seen this before and what did you think about it? I I feel like I must have, you know, right, like when sure. we did the mash spotlight or DVD shelf or just in general, like, I feel like I must have, I, like it, it had some of that familiarity of like, I might've seen this a long time ago. Sure. Sure. But or you might've seen an episode that was sort of like it because they yeah. probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that, you know, like, MASH is just so comfortable to watch yes. for me. Like, and I didn't grow up watching it a lot or anything like that. <laughs> By the time it was 8 o'clock, so, and we didn't have cable, so I certainly wasn't watching Nick at Night. But um, the the beats of it, the strength of the performances across the board, everything, it's just, it's very comfortable. Uh, for me, I, I had a little bit of uh, trouble... Or, or not trouble, but with the episode, I thought it was everything that was going down was very impactful. What I th- I think would have been nice if the episode had had the awareness and the writing and and such to comment on uh, the thing. What would have elevated it for me if that if there had been an awareness that the what they were the the you know BJ and and Hawkeye and uh, and Hot Lips were were doing wasn't really for the service person that was for them but the yeah. show is not aware of this or it doesn't seem to be 
because what they're doing is actually hurting other patients. They are spending resources and like medicine on this guy. That means that they will be short for other people and other people might die because of that. And that is actually very responsible and not worth doing. But if they're so broken by other things that they, that they need this right then, it'll, it will help and heal them. That's a different conversation to have. And that's something that I, a perspective that would have been nice to see. Because also, you know what? I don't believe any of these characters are above falsifying when the guy died. Nobody else knows when he died. They can yeah. just change the date on the paper. If it's, if it's that important to them, that's what they would do. That would feel more authentic. And that, like, in the, having that conversation or something like that would be feel more appropriate. However, of course, my perspective on this is also very shaped by the number of, of times I've watched the gruff surgeon be like, if we save this, we can save this person, but if we save this person, five more will die. Like, you know, like I've watched that conversation happen on a lot of TV since then. So yeah. that's part of it as well. I'm sure that's shaping it. But um, I, it would have been because like if, if it's me, my dad dying on the 25th is not different than my dad dying on the 26th. Christmas no, is think, still ruined. <laughs> I think that's a fair... I, I still think that that point is, like, completely fair. Um, regards... Like, Christmas is still ruined either way, guys. Yeah. Like, it's... <laughs> yeah. it. I get it, but... So, so I would have liked even more awareness this was... Like, that maybe they don't have their perspective of it. But, yeah. like, from from the, you know, from the, the captain or somebody else. Or, like, or saying something, you know, somebody saying... One of the, the more junior characters saying something. And they had to be like... This is what they need, and this they need yeah. a win right now, and this is a the the only win they can get. Um, and 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 I like that the episode is called "Death Takes a Holiday," and of course somebody dies because <laughs> it's yeah. Mash. Because <laughs> it's Mash. Because it's Mash. But but I thought that it was a lot less like you know that we're gonna get to Futurama here in a bit. That Futurama joke of like the the Alan Alda <laughs> robot with like funny and modern the Ihawk. Yeah. <laughs> like it it balanced those tones I think better than some of the especially the later run of Mash yeah. does. Um and I thought it was an overall very sweet and certainly one that is I can think of a lot of better Christmas episodes. Um especially because they're so much I feel like they're very common at this point. Um yeah. but I do think that this is a very good one strong i had fun watching it i was glad to 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 either revisit or watch it for the first time and i thought that they like the actors really sold all their beats um so so for me it was a good pick it worked out well i'm glad to have revisited it um and maybe at the end of this we can have a conversation about if if you actually rewatched and ranked holiday episodes from across the years has tv as a medium gotten better at them or, or are, are there just a lot of forgettable ones and, and the great ones through the different times all still have the same impact? Or, like, do we do more Christmas episodes now than we used to and therefore have more to choose from more recently? Because, like, I don't know that this is a better episode than Speechless's episode this week. I don't know that mm -hmm. it's better than Bob's. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, I think the same, like better or like that sort of thing i think kind of like i i need a metric and a yeah. rubric um yeah. to be like all right how do you want to define Funnier, better more moving exactly yeah right yeah. and like i i guess like the metric metric basically becomes all right how much of this 
is within a defining of the holiday spirit. Or what is this comment about, like, on the current state of a kind of um, approach to the holiday? Or in the case of our, like, next episode, how does the holiday concept play out for our characters and for generally misanthropic people that have no business celebrating the holidays anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that that's like a question to ask is like, how do, how are the holidays mobilized within the framework of an established show and how successfully are that? And like with mash, I think at least within like th- speaking specifically with death tech ho- takes a holiday. I think it works very successfully as a holiday episode of mash. Yeah. Um, the degree to which it works as a holiday episode of television, I think is a larger conversation that I don't necessarily can answer in a way because then a lot of this also gets grounded in the time period it takes place, which is both really weird because it's a period piece. That's also not about the period piece, Mm -hmm. the period that it's taking place in since, well, sure it's Korea. It's actually about Vietnam, but it's all taking place after Vietnam happened and well after Korea happened. Mm -hmm. And also like almost up to the end of the cold war. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just a bunch of stuff (laughs) that, is happening within MASH as like a as a media product that I cannot answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I look forward to your answer. Okay, we'll talk <laughs> about that. As I hedge and go yeah. like, I can't answer that, but yeah. here are some ideas. Well, and that's that's the whole point of the conversation and to to, to bounce these ideas back and forth. Otherwise, it's just me monologuing or you monologuing and. Very few people want to listen to that, I think. Um, let's move on to our next episode. That's Seinfeld, The Strike. Or as, you know, it's it's very odd to me that this is, episode is called The Strike because this is the Festivus it's episode. It's the Festivus episode, right. Like, yeah. like or yeah. as I call it, the human fund episode. <laughs> <laughs> Either of those, I think, have, have lasted in the public consciousness and imagination way longer than Kramer's strike at the bagel place. Um this was one of my picks. It's like, you know, I haven't watched the Festivus episode, like, maybe since it aired in 19, oh, wow. December 18th, 1997. I haven't, you know, like, I maybe, like, I caught a rerun of it in the, you know, late 90s, early aughts. But I haven't, I don't usually just sit down and watch Seinfeld. And when we did our Seinfeld uh, DVD shelf, I didn't watch this one. I watched a bunch of other ones. Um so it was interesting for me because this felt so distinctly like Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And uh, also because it was so very sexist, like really, really painfully sexist. If they had had the two-faced thing but get turned around on like George or Jerry or something like or that. Or Vesky. Or just any of the guys. Make him handsomer. Yeah. 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 Like that, that would have worked much, much better. But I was I was having trouble with this episode because it's so sexist um, while still enjoying most of it. I thought it was really funny. I thought it lived up and like it was just as strong as in my imagination. And I remembered it other than the two faced stuff, the sexist stuff. I remembered it pretty accurately. And um, yeah, I, like Festivus, I feel like I, I, I'm surprised that this is season nine. Of Seinfeld. I felt like, oh, the Festivus episode, that was like always a big thing with Seinfeld, right? That's from earlier in the show? No. It's almost near the end. It's virtually the end of the show. Yeah. Uh, so that was really surprising to me. But I, I did think that, like, I mean, 
we've all gotten like the the card, the donation in your honor thing. So I like that is the level of misanthropy <laughs> and like the whining about getting someone donating to needy children in your name. Like that is the level of of terribleness that I am accustomed to at Seinf- on, for Seinfeld um, or, you know, like that kind of thing, as opposed to the stuff we get with Jerry. So I'm curious how how this one lived up to your memory. Right, so, like, apart from the Two-Face aspect, which I forgot, like you, I forgot was actually in this episode, um, the, the, everything else I remembered, like, the strike with the bagels, mm-hmm. and then going back on strike, and then having to forget it because he needed to use the bathroom, um, plus the Human Fun, plus Festivus, um, and Denim Vest, um, yeah. to a certain degree, I sort of remembered, but the Kevin Two-Face McDonald. thing I did, <laughs> yes, so good. He's so good in the two scenes he gets. There's snaps. Yeah, there's snaps. <laughs> it's not better. <laughs> it's not better. Um, so all of this, I think, um, I-, I remembered. I just didn't remember the Two-Face thing. And um, while I appreciate the, if that helps you, um, <laughs> line about it, it, it does like ring really false. But it also reminds me that like, Seinfeld isn't, like, the best at sexual politics overall, for the most Mm -hmm. part, in a lot of instances. So this is just sort of a continuation of that. Um, But it it feels, like, distinctly sort of out of place with the rest of the episode. And that's, like, one of the things about the strike um, that I was thinking about when I was watching it is that, for the most part, Seinfeld is very, very good at having all of its elements collide together in some way. And they don't necessarily do that here because they all get forced, basically, together at uh, the Festivus table for the airing of grievances, feats of strength, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't like explode in the same way that the better climaxes of a Seinfeld episode do. And so because of that, it's just, it's really difficult structurally for the episode, I think to really work um, as well as some other ones do, even if all of it is apart from the two-faced stuff, fairly funny. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it to me, a lot of it just, until we get to like the human fun stuff to your point about like get, having donations made in your name, it almost just feels like a regular episode of Seinfeld. Yeah. And so to your question about like the degree to which this in this encounters the holidays in some way, shape or form, how does the strike function for you on that particular level? Or does this feel like a distinctly Seinfeldian holiday episode? Well, it is a distinctly Seinfeldian holiday episode. Um, and the well before i forget uh i will say that for me the big difference with the two-faced thing is that that is mean-spirited it is straight up mean-spirited and the rest of the episode is like self-involved and yeah. but it's not mean-spirited in the same way sure sure sure, sure. and yeah. that's what that's why it it really rubs me the wrong way but this episode i think for me it it just is such a different tone than like the mash episode, for example. So like when Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about holiday episodes, if I'm going to like make a a list of episodes I'm recommending or people are like, what's a good, we want to watch something, you know, Christmassy. We want something, you know, like wintry, like, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, I usually end up comparing like and like, you know, so like let's have a really saccharine one and then a really funny one. And then like a little, like cut the, the cheese a little bit, like cut the, like the, like the over the top, with something a little more biting and sarcastic and then come back. Like, so for me, this feels very like, like I would go to this one as a Christmas episode or as a, as a holiday episode, because 
it does feel it does speak to how some people feel at the holidays i think in a really yeah. nice way really refreshing way and um like it's not that big a turn basically it's just a matter of um like the if if, if your family drinks <laughs> whether or not christmas is going to take that turn to the feats of strength anyways you know <laughs> uh, and who hasn't had a family member let's be honest, who hasn't had their dad at some point be like, all this commercialism, screw it, you guys are all saying you want stuff for Christmas, but you're not doing anything, we're not we're canceling Christmas, like I there's a million shows that have done that episode but I think a lot of us have had at least one Christmas or or holiday season like that Um, so that speaks to something universal as well, so for me, this even though it's not like very Christmas-y, it still Mm -hmm. speaks very much to different truths and about the holiday season what it feels like in the holiday season so for me it works really well yeah 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 and i i think that point about like the degree to which like the holidays can go very poorly very quickly mm-hmm. um is is really well captured by the strike in general um the, but like a lot of it i think just needs like more space to breathe in a lot of ways and Eliminating, like, the Two-Face um, aspect of the episode um, gets you there. But it doesn't get the payoff of the sub card. And I get a free sub. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the... Like, yeah, but I want the mediocre sandwich I earned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I want it. So... No, you just, you just leave the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. The number of shows we've kept watching. Just because, like, it's not good, but, like, I... I'm invested now. It's an it's an important yeah. lesson to learn. Jerry's so right in there. It's an important lesson to learn. Let's okay. Let's move on to our next episode. This is Futurama Xmas story. This is from oh we should say the strike was from ninety seven. Futurama is from ninety nine. December nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine. And um, this I'm just gonna say this is bad. This is just a yeah, bad episode. It is. This one was my my pick. And yeah. I you know I think Futurama did a few. Christmas episodes. They did. And so, yeah. like, I know that their one, the one they did with, uh, you know, Santa Bot and the elves and everything, that's, I remember that being much better than this was, but I remembered this one being good, too. I forgot. It's so slow. It's yes, painfully it is. slow. It's fr- I forgot that this episode was basically divided in half, yeah. and it doesn't make any sense for it to be divided in half in any way, shape, no. or form. <laughs> everything in the first half is bad. It's not interesting. It's just, like... Yep. It's very, like, it's very, very, like, I think they didn't realize what they had on their hands with SantaBot, and, yeah. and they they later did, and then they did entire episodes centered on him. But, like, the episode I was thinking of was the episode where you see Kwanzaabot and SantaBot talking, and Kwanzaabot is giving out the traditional Kwanzaa gift of a book explaining what Kwanzaa is, mm-hmm. um, which is from, I thought it was from this episode, but no, it is from the later season. Um, this is from season two of Futurama. But, um, yeah, it's just bad. Like, why are they skiing just to watch them ski? It's not funny. It's nope. not particularly compelling. It doesn't tell us anything new. It just wastes a bunch of time. So I'm sorry, Noel. I wasted our time. <laughs> no, it, it, it's really funny that you say that because, like, I felt the same way watching this. And, like, I've forgotten that they spent, like, the first half of the episode at this at skiing at the ski lodge. And there's some, like, decent comedy stuff there. Like, the tree stuff, I think, is very good <laughs> um, from, like, a slapstick perspective. But that's literally it from that section that's worth even mentioning. And even then it's very like easy sort of 
early Futurama type of stuff. And that's what I think a lot of this is, is that even though it's season two, we're still in like early Futurama mode Mm -hmm. in which the really good episodes are sort of like few and far in between for the most part in a lot of ways. And they haven't found a groove. They also like animation wise haven't found a, haven't found like a particular like the show just doesn't look very good mm-hmm. um, yet in a lot of ways, and that's really frustrating as well. But when you get to the end, where it's just like they don't use Santa Bot very well, um, and apart from again another decent slapstick gag with the sort of. Um, Haroloid esque dangling from a digital clock uh, <laughs> bit, which I think is very funny. That's very funny. Yeah, it's very and good. And I, I like the, that they keep that visual joke going for as long as they do. Yeah. Um, because physically they actually can because of the shape of the numbers. Mm-hmm. But that's like the only thing that's really funny in that sequence of the chase and everything. That that's what stands out to me. Isn't like oh he's got a a bazooka and a machine gun and, and and he blew up the bird that he spent $500 on it as opposed to get you always get 500 lizards Kate. you never you get always... 500 lizards <laughs> never you get neither neither no one wants either of those <laughs> yeah but no it was so it was so frustrating watching this because I was just like I felt so confused it was like I remember this being a good episode but the reason I remember this being a good episode is I didn't remember half the episode at least at least half yeah. the episode just completely wiped from my brain I was like yeah. is this even the episode I thought it was like where's when are they gonna when is he I thought as soon as he mentioned Xmas they would cower in fear because of Santa oh but no apparently it's not until he mentioned Santa and that's not until like 15 minutes in or so like that's over like 10 yeah. minutes in but still like oh i'm sorry let's move on to a better episode there are better <laughs> holiday episodes of futurama yes there are but ugh, cleanse the palate let's end with veronica mars uh an eccles family christmas this is from december 14th 2004 that's the air date and this one uh, was your pick yes and it was basically exactly the episode I remembered it being. Yes. Yeah. And just as good as I remembered, but I think I liked it even more because I have a greater perspective on high schoolers now that I interact with them all the time, teaching them <laughs> as an adult. And I'm like, yes, many of these people still look too old, but yeah. like the acting is so good. There's like Logan's such a little shit, but that's so appropriate. <laughs> like, like, like the stuff that he's saying, the stupidly racist stuff that he's saying without even having thought about it for a second. Like, yeah, that's so perfect piece of shit, teenage boy. Like, and like, hopefully he grows out of it. Like, Oh man, my students fortunately are not like that. I have lovely, wonderful students, but just seeing like them interacting as a group and everything, I was like, oh yeah, I feel like I've got my journal and I'm taking notes on the wildlife and like this is all <laughs> so appropriate for for high schoolers. Uh, did did this one come back to you in the same way? Did you, were you surprised by this one at all, or was it pretty much as you remembered? It was pretty much as I remembered, but that was really pleasant because, like, I gave you, like, another episode that um, I had thought about, and then I had given—I didn't give you another episode that was in my brain as well. Which one was um, that? Uh, I didn't give you Merry Christmas, Mrs. Moskowitz, uh-huh. which is a Frasier episode in which they all pretend to be Jewish. Ah, okay. 
And I really, I really adore that episode. I think it's very funny, but we had like a number of like sitcoms and half hour mm-hmm. stuff already circulating. So I wanted something sort of different and like palate cleansy a little bit. But I also wanted something that appealed to both of us in terms of we got a locked room mystery during the holidays mm-hmm. involving like poker and we had Kristen Bell. So yeah. it was just like it was a it was a number of things that appealed to both of us and I just went we're going to do this even though we all know that an Eccles family Christmas is already a very good episode. Yeah. We're going to watch it anyway <laughs> because it is a very good episode. It was percolating <laughs> in my brain before you even sent it. Like it was yeah, like one of the no. first ones I thought of and I was like, yeah, but like maybe we've already kind of talked about it. I don't know. Like No, I don't feel like I need so to rewatch fun. it, but it's so good. Yeah, yeah, no, it's delightful. And watching, like, Veronica, in this episode in particular, because you have a locked room situation, which doesn't happen a lot on this mm-hmm. show, mm-hmm. that you have a very limited suspect pool for ever, for her to go around and talk to and piece everything together. And this, more so than, like, for me on a lot of episodes, feels a very, like, classic murder mystery investigator television show-esque. Mm-hmm. But B, it also appeals to the it also allows you to really engage the mystery in a way that sometimes veronica mars and sometimes just general detective shows don't always allow you that opportunity because they keep some bit of information from you that because of their expertise only the detective realizes or whatever yeah and this everything is there for you to figure it out with basically just like one clue that's given to give the entire thing away yeah and I really appreciate that. And I really enjoyed going through it again because I just went, wait, it was him, right? Because I didn't quite remember until, like, the episode got going. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, right, it is him. But then I couldn't remember how he did it. Yeah. And so, like, the reveal of that was really pleasant. So all the pieces of this just work really, really well for me. And then it's just dressed up in a Christmas spirit of carolers and this idea of artifice that runs through a lot of veronica mars and what better time to sort of explore that idea than with fake snow during carolers after they've stabbed harry hamlin Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's it's just it's very enjoyable and then like the whole contrast of veronica wanting to get enough money to get a really nice gift for her dad and that kind of stuff i think all of it really works as both a Veronica Mars episode, but also as I just really needed this job so that I could get a nice gift for someone. It's a very television Christmas mm-hmm. sort of episode of like, I got a holiday job so I could buy this thing. Yeah. And so it just works really well for me. Yeah. It's like you said, it's a very good episode of Veronica Mars. It's very true to that tone and this, the, the, the noir feel of it. It's an excellent yeah. holiday episode. It's, it, it's both, you know, with the noir aesthetic and the ending and the voice of everything, it's both completely undercutting yeah. so much about, you know, everything personified through the Eccles party of, yeah. like, the notion of that's what Christmas is, while so warmly, fully embracing Veronica's Christmas with her dad, the tree yeah. and everything that they're doing. And, like, it's it's a love letter to Christmas while that also calls out all the bullshit that can come with. And it does yeah. – it handles those tones so well. This is the – of the th- of the four episodes we watched, I think it's the best episode. I think it's the episode that has yeah. the best – like, uses its time the best. Every mm-hmm. part, every subplot, everything comes together in a really nice, satisfying way. It pays – um, you know, it moves a couple – it pays some service to the, the overall season-long 
long plot. But if you don't know about that, that doesn't yeah. matter. Doesn't yeah. it's only a few short little mini scenes, so it doesn't distract from everything else. And um, like you said, it just makes you really appreciate how well Veronica Mars did its mysteries as far as mm-hmm. like so many mystery shows just make it so painfully obvious. You know I love psych, but it's just like yeah. so painfully obvious what's going on. This just lets you go along like a good mystery novel does with the story. And if you're the person who wants to figure it all out, you can have fun doing that. You might be able to figure it out, but you also might not. But everything's there for you if you if you want to watch that way. And if you just want to ob- observe and enjoy, then you get to have the fun, like, drawing room. Ah, but it couldn't have been. Da-da-da. And it's just, it's, it all it all comes together so satisfyingly. So, yeah, it was... It was it was very fun to to rewatch. It's a it's an excellent episode of television, and it is also very appropriate as a, as a holiday episode. And and as yeah. for this like larger discussion of like what's a better Christmas episode or better holiday episode, I think it's something that that speaks to our our social like the, the societal relationship. From of that, you know, that it's like in American TV, discussing like having a relationship to the way we interact with that holiday in, you know, in that time and that place and and having being interested in um, like celebrating that or critiquing that or or like the beautiful encapsulation of what that feels like. You know, it can be so many different things, um, but for me, most of these do a good job of capturing some element of what Christmas or the holidays feel like to a lot of people, um, or at least what I think they do. Yeah. People like me, I shouldn't speak for people. I should speak for people like me and with my background. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was really fun to kind of just sit back and relax with some familiar favorites this year. Yeah, it was. And so thanks for suggesting we do an omnibus this week. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, any final thoughts? No, no final thoughts. Um, the only thing I will say is that I think the other reason why Eccles Family Christmas was on my brain is that I watched this um, 1945 movie called Lady on a Train, which is a film noir that takes place during Christmas. Um, mm-hmm. Deanna Durbin's in it. Uh, it's very, very good. It was the first time I'd seen it. But I was thinking about how much I like Christmas during film noirs. Yeah. Because um, I thought about the TCM aired Lady on the Train with Lady on in the Lake, which is another film noir that has its own issues but takes place at Christmas. And it's interesting as well but then i was also thinking like kiss kiss bang bang which mm-hmm. is the shane black robert downey jr movie which is just so good you mean the michelle um, monaghan movie y- yes i do mean the michelle monaghan michelle monaghan and her and her her ex-boyfriend and you know her yeah 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 <laughs> there's absolutely. no in-laws but yeah. there's and then michelle <laughs> monaghan's sister and <laughs> michelle monaghan, monaghan's potential father <laughs> yeah <laughs> but also like the nice guys also to like follow yeah. up on a shane black thing yeah but yeah, no, the whole, like, Christmas in a noir is just really delightful contrasts of stuff. So, yeah, I think that's why, like, a part of the reason why Eccles Family Christmas immediately came into my brain yeah. was I was primed by Turner Classic Movies. Thank you, Turner Classic Movies. <laughs> yeah. We love you. Uh, <laughs> listeners, if you have any favorite holiday episodes, uh, go ahead and, and send them our way. Let us know what your favorites are. And uh, we'll see if we do. Maybe we'll do this again next year. Try to come up with some some new picks. 
I know I haven't watched Charlie Brown Christmas in a very long because I like I feel like I haven't memorized still. I haven't watched it in a very long right. time. So maybe I don't next need year. to watch it again. I remember it like <laughs> yeah. vividly. But I didn't need to watch Veronica Mars and Eccles Family Christmas again either because yeah. I remember it vividly and yet I'm still glad that we did. So yeah. <laughs> Who knows? We'll see. A few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post for this episode over at the Televerse.org, which is the website for the podcast. You can leave us a comment there or you can also send us an email, the Televerse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook, start up a conversation there, or leave us a rating or a review at iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We're also up in Stitcher. You can leave us a rating or a review there. And of course, we're both on Twitter. I'm at the Televerse. Noel, you are. At Noel RK. And listeners, it has been a lovely year of the Televerse. We will be back with regular episodes in 2018. For the next two weeks, we will have our best of extravaganzas. Um, Still deciding some, you know, exactly how those are going to get out to you guys. But you expect at least one episode a week for the next couple of weeks, looking back at a very full year in TV. Um, Thank you, as ever, Noel. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to be here with you too, Kate. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. (laughs) 